Our text this morning came from 1 Kings, the third chapter, and the reading started from the 16th through the 28th verse. I'll read it again so that we have emphasis and that we're all on the same page. Beginning at verse 16, we find these words recorded. Then two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. It happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, only the two of us in the house. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. When I rose in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, for the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, No, for the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son who is living, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, No, for your son is a dead one, and my son is the living one. The king said, Get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king said, give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. A rather unusual text to preach from on Mother's Day. So I want to say to you all, officially again, Happy Mother's Day. Mothers are an unconditional example of love to their children. Mothers often model God's unconditional love and sacrifice for all of us. Mothers are a gift, and as the fifth commandment tells us, we ought to honor them. We need to honor our mothers not just one day a year, but also every day of every year. And so on this day, we celebrate the value that mothers bring into our lives. And I want to talk about the greatest love. The text that I just read for you, Solomon is now king. And having been promised wisdom from God, Solomon now has the opportunity to demonstrate that wisdom. Something very bad has happened. And these two mothers now have come to the highest court in the land, the Supreme Court, if you will to settle a very serious dispute between them. As they stood before the king, 
the text tells us that they were the only ones that knew what had really happened. It's a classic case of she said, she said, as they had been alone and no one else was able to confirm the testimonies of either mother. This, however, was no ordinary situation as these were no ordinary mothers. The two women, the text tells us, were harlots or prostitutes, if you will, and both had children from what would be considered illicit relations. Now, the way that the story, is, the story is told, it quickly appeals to our idea of what's right and what's wrong. The story looks at the foundation of morality, and without guessing too much, you and I, whether you will admit it or not, you and I have already drawn conclusions that one mother is good and the other mother is bad. Don't miss that. You and I after hearing the story, have already drawn conclusions that one mother is good and the other mother is bad. Now, whether you think one is good or bad in the text is very clear to me that both mothers, as the text shares, are mothers or women of harlotry, which is to say that both, both mothers have already been morally compromised. To say that one is good and the other is bad is like saying Donald Trump is good and Bill Cosby is bad because at least Donald Trump paid for his. I don't mean to be crass. I'm simply saying that the issue of good and bad is irrelevant when people are already morally compromised. But to be clear, the story is not about two harlots, though there are two harlots in the story. It is really about the harlot whose child was stolen from her, who ventures to appeal to the king, declaring herself willing to sacrifice her child to save him. These women are not to be ridiculed or mocked, but they are to be pitied and to be wept over. In her degradation and deprivation, the mother of the living child, shows the lofty heights of the human spirit, the spirit of self-sacrifice on behalf of the one she loves. And the other harlot typifies the meanness which, which the human spirit is capable. She can do nothing but hate and hate and hate and comes up empty in the end. Brothers and sisters, hear me clearly. When you look at the text, at these two mothers, be very careful the side you choose to join because they show two very specific aspects of all of our human nature. Given the right reason, we could easily be the one that seeks to steal the living child. Every person in this room, whether you're willing to admit it or not, including me, is morally compromised on some level. It's why we come to church Sunday after Sunday to appeal to a God that is still willing to hear our prayers and our pleas for help, even though we are most undeserving. Be very careful how we judge 
other people, especially when we know that our house is not always in order. So my point is simply this. As we look at the story, both mothers are flawed and both mothers are in pain. So the dispute centers on mothers arguing before the king with one saying, hey, the living son is mine and the dead one is yours. And the other mother saying, no, the dead one is yours and the living son is mine. Let's now look at what Solomon does. Solomon, the king, says, this one says, this is my son who is living and your son is a dead one. And the other says, no, for your son is a dead one and my son is the living one. And the king said, get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Solomon, in his wisdom, and this is going to be a lesson for all of us whenever we are in the midst of solving disputes. The first thing that Solomon does is he made it very clear to both mothers that he has heard their pleas and that he understood their dilemma. This is very important to observe because in the event that Solomon misjudges the case, he would be held in contempt. Listen, he says, the one says, he repeats verbatim what the mothers have said. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to understand is before you make a decision on a matter, you must be clear on what the problem is. And sometimes restating the problem is a way of making sure that everyone understands that you know where they are. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that understands your problem? Whether you are right or wrong is not the issue. The issue is whatever you are going through, your pain is real. And you need to know that God hears your cry. You may not like his decision in the end, but at least God hears you. So Solomon lets them both know that they have been heard. You say it's your son, the living one. You say it's your son, the living one. Both of you are telling me that this one baby is yours. One of you are lying. But I hear both of you. So Solomon says, get me a sword. With the intent to divide the child into two. And to say, you take one half, you take the other half. In order to resolve the dispute, they must both be confronted, hear me, with an emergency situation. They must be made to believe that Solomon intends to kill the child. Only in such a dire situation will the true mother plea to save her child. So the sword is brought, and the swordman moves to the king's command. It is then that the true mother cries out, says, Give it to the woman! Don't divide it! Now the king has his answer. The truth has been revealed. And here is the spiritual revelation, brothers and sisters. Truth is always revealed in a crisis. You ever want to know the truth about something, bring crisis. When people are in crisis, when things are falling apart, believe me, they don't have a lot of time to monkey around or to fool around. Crisis will always bring truth in any situation. Sometimes we have to get into a real crisis 
before we can be given the truth and the answers that we seek in some of life's most difficult challenges. But the king is not just a just king for those who are good. He's a just king for those who are not so good as well. So as we celebrate this Mother's Day, there are three things that I want to pull out of this text, out of this very powerful story to demonstrate something about a mother's love. The first thing is that a mother's love is always confrontational. The mother stated in verse 19, this woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. So she arose in the middle of the night, took my son from beside me while I slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. When I rose in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. And when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, he was not my son whom I had born. Every mother knows her children. I often tell the story that you could be in a crowded park where all there are hundreds of people screaming and children jumping and running around and you going about your business. And the moment, in the midst of all that commotion, in the midst of all that noise, in the midst of all that chaos, let your child cry. And the moment your child cry, you hear it above every noise. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. With all the noise, somehow your child yells out a scream. Ah! And you know right away the frequency is tuned to your heart in such a way. That you go, hold up, wait a minute, something's going on with my child. Am I lying here or I'm telling the truth? You know your child's voice. And the spiritual connection that I want you to make here is that the Lord also tells us, he says what? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they know me. There is something about the cry of a child that makes a mother's antennas go up. And it doesn't matter what is going on, she will find and zero in. And I don't care who's in her way. You could be Pope or Nope. Whoever comes in her way, she's going to move you out. Of, she's going to break all hell because she's going to get to the source of her child's pain. That is a mother's love. And it is always confrontational. You mess with a woman's child and you are not necessarily going to be met with a saint. You can come to church all you want. You can sing in the choir all you want. You can say all of the Holy Ghost words you want and read the Bible from cover to cover, but touch a hair on my child. And all of a sudden, you are dealing with something straight out of the pit. I won't say it. But you all know what I'm talking about. So what I want you to understand about a mother in this text is that the text is showing us that a mother's love is always confrontational. It's a form of defense and protection mechanism that every mother has. The second thing I want you to understand in this text is that a mother's love is always just. The inescapable point of the whole story is that it's a true model of motherhood. Give her the baby, and by no means kill it. That's the mother. In her speech to the king, the first woman expresses her grief over two of her profession's special sorrows. She has a child. It has no father, but she will love the child dearly. The child is taken from her, and she thinks her child is dead. Now, let me put you in the place of the mother. The mother is a harlot. The mother is a prostitute. A mother who is a prostitute means that the way that she makes her living is through illicit means. Now she is pregnant, and for nine months, it means she can't do her normal work. 
She probably doesn't know who the father is because she's been with so many. But she decides that she's going to love this child anyway. Now, if you were I and I were you in that situation, and you've gotten now to the point where you've delivered this child in a way that you don't think that you ought to have, and the child has now died, what are you thinking? Maybe God is punishing me. Maybe God is mad at me. Maybe God is angry with me. This is the pain that the mother initially feels in the moment. But the text goes on to say, upon further examination, she noticed that he didn't have the birthmark that he was born with. I'm making this up. There is some way that she knows that this is not her child. And now on top of her grief before, she's now having to deal with the reality that, wait a second, I have now also been robbed. You're talking about a double portion of grief. I don't know if you can understand the emotions that someone may be going through in this moment, but lose something that's close to you makes you feel bad enough, but then to also have figured out the why with people who you think are closest to you. You live in the same house with, and somehow, somehow, this has now changed. You have now moved from God is mad at me to now I have been wronged. This is a psychosocial dynamic which is beyond our proportion. She now has to hear the taunts of the other woman chiding her for being careless. You, 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 you killed your child. It's bad enough to have to give up one's baby in death, but it's unthinkable that you've got to live in the same house with this evil woman. The choice now is between the claim of motherhood and the claim of life itself. You see, what I want you to understand is whether the child was a bastard child or not, however society wants to blame or to, or to say negative things about the child, not one person in here can, by your own design, bring forth life. So the fact that this woman has brought this child into this world means that God has saw fit that this gift should have been brought. We don't get to be the judges of what's right and what's wrong when it comes to God's morality. His ways are not our ways. Neither are thoughts our thoughts. And that's why I think the story is so poignant that it mentions two prostitutes. Because if we had said one was a prostitute and the other wasn't, chances are we would have been picking sides in a way that says this person is good and that person is bad. Everybody is bad. So God equalizes the playing field. Because while you may not be the one that stole the child today, mean doesn't mean you won't be the one that steals it tomorrow. But the mother wants justice. So she goes to the highest court in the land, and a mother's love is always just. Listen, I, don't, I grew up in a time where my mom, listen, I grew up in a time where when you go to school and you do something wrong, the teacher would spank you. Now, that's bad enough. But when your parents found out, you got spanked for being spanked in school. They didn't ask who was wrong or who was right. You got spanked in school. There's a reason you're getting spanked again. And the reason why I'm bringing that to your attention is because mothers have a way of saying there is justice and they don't care whether you're right or wrong. They need you to understand that there's a way that you need to function in life. And they're going to make sure that even if you are to blame, you're going to get what's coming to you. A mother's love is always just. And finally, a mother's love is sacrificial. 
The king said, divide the living child into two. Give one half to the mother and a half to the other. Then the woman whose child was a living one spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. The true mother finds herself willing to suffer even more in order to save her child's life. To lose her child was her way of letting the child live. She was willing to let this other mother keep the child, knowing in her heart that it was really her baby. Sometimes it seems, hear me clearly, we must be willing to let go of the people we love in order to make them live. It's a hard thing for any mother or any person to do, but it strikes at the heart of our humanity. No one can truly appreciate what it means to give up something or someone you love until you have had to do it. And very often in those moments, it's like ripping your heart right out of your chest because you don't want to give up, but sometimes you know that in doing that is the only way they can survive, the only way they can live. It is a hard decision that, again, no one can understand until you have had to do it yourself. Here's what I mean by a mother's love is sacrificial. I'll tell you a story. I was at the medical center a couple, month, a couple of weeks ago, and I got called to the trauma section. You know, when the ambulances come in, we get paged. A trauma is coming in. The ambulance is going to get here in five minutes. I drop what I'm doing, and I head down to trauma. I get to trauma, and all the doctors are all waiting around, and the nurses, we're waiting for the ambulance to come in. No sooner, I put on my gloves, the ambulance backs in, and they're coming in very quickly with a child, a two-year-old child. Two or three-year-olds, I don't remember exactly. They brought the child in, and the child's head, I'm telling you right now, is like swollen. And I'm looking at this child, and I start to pray. They bring the child into the emergency room. The mother is screaming frantically. She's crying. She's screaming. And while they're bringing the child in on the gurney, there is someone who's pumping the heart of the child. And I'm watching this thing unfold as I stand there. And I'm thinking, oh, my Lord, what must this mother be feeling? And they're pumping the child, and they're pumping the child. They get the child into the room, and they're still going at it. They're hooking up all kinds of things to the child, and they're going at it. And I'm looking at the size of this child's head, and they're pumping, and they're pumping, and they're pumping, and they're going at it. And I stand there and I go to the mother and I stand beside the mother and she's screaming and she's crying and she's going at it and I'm right there with the mother. And I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. The father then comes and he's like, he sees the child and he goes, why is his head so large? And the father is looking and he's, he's, he's confused and all of this is going on. They finally got the heartbeat and I'm like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Now they're rushing the child to CAT scan because they need to see what's going on in the brain's activity. They need to see. And they're in the room longer than they usually are. And if you've been in the hospital long enough like I have, you know that if they're in there a long time, something is not right. I'm telling you a true story. The mother and I and the father are sitting outside, right outside the CAT scan room. They're talking about the child. They're talking about what happened. We're doing, I'm sitting on the floor with the mother. And in my mind, I'm talking to them, and they're laughing about some things, and they're, 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 they're in a different place. Meanwhile, in my mind, I'm like, why are they staying so long in the room? The doctor comes out, and he says, we're running some more additional tests. I'm running some additional tests, but, you know, we shouldn't be much longer. I'm looking at the doctors, because after a while, you start to read faces. You know when you come into the trauma room, if the people are happy, are seemingly happy, you know it's not that big of a deal. 
But if their faces are forlorn, you know something is not right. This is a three-year-old child. The parents are there, and I'm sitting to myself, God, what's going on? They bring the child out. They say, we're taking the child up to now the pediatric ICU. I'm walking with the parents and the mother. We're following now all the doctors. All of us are walking. We get into the elevator. We get up to the top. They're having me in the room. And now the mother and everyone, other family members have arrived. And I'm standing there as the chaplain. And I'm saying, God, what have I gotten myself into? And I'm standing there and everything is going on. And then the doctor calls me. I walked to the doctor and he said, listen, we have tried everything we can. There is no brain activity at all. We need to let these parents know that there is, and we need to start the conversation about organ donation. And I'm going, okay. And the mother and the father are sitting out in the waiting room. So now we have a consult, me, the family, the doctors, a whole team now, as the doctors are now telling these people that their son is no more. And the reason why I tell you this story about a mother's love is sacrificial. For as long as I live, I will not forget this story. When they told the mother what happened and what was about to happen, these were her words, verbatim. This is what the mother said. After dealing with the grief and the, and the pressure of everything, she looks at the doctors like only a mother can look at someone when they are desperate. And she said, is there anything inside of me that you can take to make him live? Is there anything inside of me? What I'm telling you was in that moment, if they needed her brain, if they needed her heart, if they needed her lungs, if they needed her, whatever it was that she had, she was looking at the doctors in desperation and say, take anything inside of me that you need to make my son live. That was for me a moment where I saw Christ. I saw what Jesus did on that cross. It was a situation where he says, I can't, I don't know what it is that has gone wrong with humanity, but I'm going to give everything in me that they might live. That is sacrificial love. That's what the cross means. That's what God did for you and for me is that he gave us the very thing himself. For the text, the Bible tells us, I have come that they, you and me, may have life and have it more abundantly, even if it means dying myself. Sacrificial love. And all that I've just described to you is something that every mother can understand. It is the part of them that would give their very life for their children, whether their children appreciate it or even are grateful or not. Doesn't change the fact that a mother's love is always sacrificial. And that is what I mean by the greatest love. The greatest love is where you don't care what happens to you. You are not concerned about what this may mean to you. All you are concerned about is how you can be of benefit to the other. And that's what the Christian church needs to learn. How do you give of yourself for the benefit of others without looking for anything in return? I pray that if we start as a church to love that way. Now, I ain't telling you to go out and kill yourself. 
What I'm saying to you is that God is looking for the willing heart. If you are willing to go above your own desires, if you are willing to go above your own needs, if you are willing to do everything you can for the benefit of someone else, even if they are a stranger, I am telling you that you are closer to the heart of God than you could ever imagine. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel. You see, when Satan took away God's children in the Garden of Eden, he stole something that was not his to take. And in so doing, he grieved our Heavenly Father. So God in his infinite wisdom confronted Satan at the cross of Calvary. A father's and a mother's love is always confrontational. And justice was served when Jesus bled and died. A mother's and a father's love is always just. And the sacrifice that was made, paid for the price for all of your sins, what you have committed, what you're doing now, and even what you intend to do. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So brothers and sisters, on this Mother's Day, hear me clearly what I'm telling you. Whenever you are involved with bringing healing, help to somebody else, God can work through you in a way that allows you to, be, to give of yourself even what you didn't think you had to give. For the greatest gift that you can give to someone else is to love them unconditionally. Whether you agree with them whether or not, whether they are prostitutes or not, whether you think they are worthy of your love or not, give, 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 for God gave to you as well. So... Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, and may God richly bless you, my beloved. Amen?